Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Reimagining Work podcast with me, John Winger, and you, Rocky North. Oh, Rocky North, yeah, there you go. <laughs> You're getting better. I am. And uh, despite some reservations that you may um, know that Rocky and I have about the term social business, we've decided that this one is called social business as a default. And uh, it comes out of an article and some thinking that Rocky has been doing um, about a business that has seems to have tapped into something um, really um, powerful in terms of how they work together. And um, the reference to being social um, is about the fact that they are highly collaborative, highly sharing. And one of the things I've um, heard you say a number of times, we'll hear about what are the characteristics of a social business. And you, you were saying it's about sharing and transparency. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they do they do that uh, like a boss. I mean, they they are their whole approach of the project that they. Let me explain what we're talking about here. Yes. Before we go any further, this is the um, the Bloodhound SS, SSC. I don't even know what SSC stands for, but it's probably super speed or something. And uh, their aim is to build a car. Well, technically, it's a car. It's got wheels and an engine and, and a pilot. And um, but it's gonna have to set the uh, land world speed record. And so they have they have a they have a, a a very simple and clear vision or goal that they want to achieve. It's yeah, a th- thousand miles per hour. I mean, yeah. Th- th- I mean, yeah. When you say it out loud and quickly, then it's not that big of a deal. I mean, a thousand miles per hour—that's their goal. Um, to get there is um, unbelievably complex. Obviously, I mean, anybody who with half a brain can figure out that having a a, a wheeled vehicle on land go a thousand miles per hour uh, is well difficult and it's something that um, yeah I've got it here it's 1609 kilometers per hour so for the uh, less metrical uh, less imperial uh, inclined among us so it's 1600 kilometers per hour that's that's that that's just mind-blowingly fast Um. So for them, in order to do that, they need to approach the project in a way that is, in these times, uh, unorthodox. Because mm-hmm. if you would do it as a business, as a regular business, where you get investors or somebody, and you would not be able to do it. You would not have any return on the investment, for instance, other than having a record. No, the goal is not to maximize shareholder value. So there's something quite different already. Their goal is to, to do something which is inspiring. Yeah. Which yeah, which sets a bar uh, around um, technical expertise for future people who might be looking at breaking a record or um, doing a you know a significant first. So that's different already. Yeah. Encur- yeah. Encourage uh, children to to uh, to get an interest into science. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they visit schools. Uh, to tell everything they can about the project and how they try to defy the laws of physics, um, which obviously they can break, but you know you can push them <laughs> really hard. And um, uh, so yeah, I mean it's it's just the whole general idea of what it is that they want to do, uh, and they can't do it alone, right? You cannot have a small group of people. Um, uh, that build a machine like this and get away with it. There are obviously there, there's there's amateurs who build their own speed vehicle. They do that over a couple of years, and they reach speeds of 200, 300 miles per hour maybe. Uh, but that's about it. And as soon as you want to get faster and faster and faster, you need so much more um, uh, power and and anything really. In order to get there, 
So it's a really significant milestone, this 1,000 mile per hour, 1,600 kilometer per hour uh, objective. Like, is, has anyone come close to that sort of thing on land speed? Well, the, same, the, the same team that, that um, uh, holds the current record, and Andy Green, the pilot, he's, he's a, a, a wing commander for the Royal Air Force. Mm-hmm. He holds the record, the current record, and that stands at 763 uh, miles per hour, and they did that in the trust, the trust, thrust SSC. Uh, so that's also it's pretty much a rocket car. It's like a huge jet engine. Um, it basically is a plane that's been uh, uh, where the the airfoils are in such a way that instead of bringing it off the ground, it keeps it on the ground mm. uh, with a couple of wheels. And Andy Green is. Uh, He's he's a pilot, but I think he's he's, well, he's pretty insane to go that fast. But so that's that's where the record stands, right? So it stands on on seven hundred sixty miles per hour, twelve hundred kilometers per hour. So they're they're yeah they're planning on doing quite a significant, like a quarter faster or something. Yes, yeah, it's, it it's a significant leap from the one that they, the record that they've already set. Yeah, yeah. So they they may have learned some things about their last project where they broke. The, the previous record and they're, they're building on that yeah 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 I don't know much about the the, the, the previous uh, record about the thrust um, I've seen the videos various videos on the on the bloodhound uh, the bloodhound <laughs> and um, it's an amazing machine I mean they've got a Eurofighter jet engine and uh, that takes it up to 350 miles per hour mm. and that's a jet engine after that they have a rocket that kicks in and the rocket is with some sort of very special fuel and uh, it, it, it gets fed by uh, a Jaguar engine uh, or an engine built by Jaguar uh, V8 because they don't have a fuel pump big enough to to give enough fuel to the rocket, so they need to have a V8 engine in order to to get the fuel into the rocket, and it only lasts about two minutes, right? That that's about it, and then it when they hit that speed, yeah, and then and then you shut down and then you do it again tomorrow. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's an extremely complex thing of various materials they need. Uh, they need aluminum, steel, titanium. Uh, um, carbon, well, anything they can get their hands on. I mean, it's even, they've reached a point where it's so expensive to build a car like that that nobody would be able to afford it. Uh, no business anyway. Mm. And so they, they talk to partners and see what they can provide them. And then they use that part that, that's being provided by them and they figure out a way to implement that specific part Mm-hmm. Whether they want to use another material or not, that's at that point it's irrelevant because getting another material would take too much time or too much money. So they have to deal with whatever it is that they're given. So, so yeah. if if someone if someone's thinking, yeah, it's all it's all great, but in fact, what their goal is is something that they achieve for a very short amount of time, two or three minutes. They get that thousand miles per hour, and people going, yeah, but ordinary working life is about being consistent consistently getting results consistently you know satisfying customers where there's a there's a there's a there's a kernel of some truth some transformational truth for you in this story what's the the the, the i suppose the secret of their success that they've bottled that they have um they've allowed themselves to think that they can do this really huge thing What's the secret? Spend, do you think? spend all the time and and money and all the effort, uh, all the energy on on it just for the sake of breaking a record. Mm. Um, I don't think it's just breaking a record. First of all, I think whenever they hit that thousand miles per hour, um, it's going to stand for quite a while. Mm. There's nobody's going to break that in a hurry. I mean, mm. just look at it. The the people who were involved with the previous record are now involved with this record. Yeah. So that kind of gives you the idea that it's not going to change in a hurry. 
So first of all, the record's going to stand for a while. It's going to be mm. something that people can work towards or be amazed about uh, or amazed at or whatever and um, inspired about, right? So, and that's mm. something that one of the uh, selling points that they have is that they sell inspiration. Mm. And like I said, they go to schools where they explain about what it is that they're doing, what it takes in order for them to be able to do what they do, uh, what it takes for a vehicle to go at those kind of speeds and um, uh, inspire children uh, to get into those kind of things. And, and they might not be uh, wanting to break speed records, but they might want to go into engineering. They might want to build a plane. They might so want to be a, a spaceship. It's a it's a lesson in achieving big goals or, or things that maybe have been have been beyond our imagination, but now we're we're considering maybe we could do this, maybe yeah. we could achieve this, like going but to when, the moon, like going to the moon. Precisely, I was thinking that too. And in, mm. in in one sense, if you take a very cynical view of something like that or or this this car, the the extreme cynical point might, might say, what's the point? But there there are some big human lessons, I suppose, in this. But I'm interested in the connection that you've made with this story yeah. of this car with your um, um, idea, your hypothesis about the business as a social, the social business as a default. They have problems like any business has. They've got problems. Well, I'm not like any, like, like the problems any business has. They've got problems just like any other business. Mm. Uh, the problems are different, obviously. Uh, but the big thing, I guess, is the fact that whatever problems they have and they need to overcome are unique to the project. You won't find them anywhere else. You cannot go on the internet and say, ah, well, you know, we got a little vibration at 879 miles per hour. What can we do about it? You cannot go on Wikipedia you Google and that, find no. it out. You cannot. <laughs> so... And they can also not take any risks with these kind of speeds. Andy Green is somebody who's very experienced with this and knows exactly how to approach these kind of projects. And obviously, he wants to get out of it alive. And getting out of something like that alive uh, takes quite a bit of skill as far as engineers go. And I mean, they have to get them up to a thousand miles per hour and back to zero again in a safe way and do it a couple of times. Um, so it's the problem solving, which is, uh, it's, it's where it stands um, apart from current business. It means that people would have to come up with solutions that might not even work, but they have to come up with something. Right? So they have to raise their hand and say, look, I've been thinking about this and that problem. Might this be a solution? And then the team goes over it and then either it gets developed or it gets worked out even further. Or somebody says, look, no, sorry, but you know, if, if we go this route and we add this element or you know, this variable, then everything explodes. So no, that won't work. And... Um, and, and that's where, where I like the connection because in current corporate environments, that is not stimulated. You don't want to raise your hand. Managers don't want to hear about solutions from people below them because that puts them in a bad light, right? Can I ask a question? Do you think, yeah. it's, do you think that it's not stimulated or do you think that it is actively discouraged or is it a blend of both? What? Well, I think I think it varies per company, and uh, also it varies per manager. Mm. Um, the default attitude, I think, is that it's mm. definitely not encouraged. Um, mm. That's the lesser of the evils. I think yeah. there's also uh, situations where it's even punished. Right, if you mm. come up with an idea or do suggestions about how things can go even better. Uh, improvements on workflows or processes um, 
managers don't necessarily want to hear that and don't go over their heads to the to the one above uh, because then you, you you get into a whole heap of trouble and you, you get a review and then if they say well you've been your work has been under uh, under par and you get a bad review so that goes into your permanent record and whilst you've been working perfectly well there's no reason for a bad review but you're gonna get it anyway so the manager is going to have something to hold over your head for the next time when you speak up. You know, mind you, I've got this record, and if you do it again, you know, I've got reason, grounds to uh, dismiss you. Well, it's, that's, that's, I'm just kind of making a link to the thing that you were saying earlier about, the, you know, the, their goal is to hit 1,000 miles per hour. And then if everybody has got that, that's why you come here today to work. Exactly. The goal, the goal is not maintain your power base. Your goal is not you know keep people under control. Your goal is get the car at a thousand miles per hour. So, I guess having that simple thing, your pur- your simple and clear purpose, would be a key part of many this many this, many employees right? or or maybe most employees do not know what the business goals are. Mm. And and managers, I I suspect as you're just hearing you say that about managers, I suspect man- many managers the same. That it's it's about meeting targets, but targets aren't aren't visions. <laughs> well, no. Besides that, I mean, it's no, absolutely not. And but also that even if the manager would know the business goals, they would not um, share that information with their uh, uh, with the workers because that would empower them. That would give them something to think about. That would give them something to put whatever it is they do in a certain context. And you don't want that because if they can put it in a certain context, then they can see, well, okay, well, okay. But if I do it this way, then that, I mean, it doesn't okay. have any effect on the business, on the social business, or on the on the business goals. So maybe we can change something. And okay, so question question about the bloodhound: Would there be any managers in that very large team, people managing stuff, project managers? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, but so so it's not about. I think that's just. I think just for the sake of anyone who's listening, that people don't imagine that Rocky and I hate managers because we don't. <laughs> they, are, they are humans and subjects to the same forces that everyone else within a business is. And, and usually in the toughest, toughest spot within a company, right? So they're, they're, they're usually between the rock and a hard place. Yeah. As a so default. there's something about what they've done with the Bloodhound where the managers are maybe not feeling threatened or they're on the same track. They're, they're going into work to get this car to a thousand miles per hour. That's what I mean is that they've got that um, investment in the vision of the purpose, the purpose and the, the, you know, the higher purpose of the business mm-hmm. where I guess a lot of managers maybe who haven't been even enlightened in that themselves, or as you say, the, the keeping it to themselves might be a, a way of protecting themselves, validating, validating their position or protecting themselves. That's mm-hmm. right. Which, so which is yeah, that, but that that's kind of the the. Um, okay, I just found something that I've been I've lost for a while. Anyway, um, sorry about that. Um, yeah, that's but that's the, kind of the thing. I mean, it goes throughout the company. Yeah. Right. It's not one level that needs to be aware of uh, uh, a certain. Whatever, whatever you want to be, you want to have, want the to have them aware of for the yeah. purpose of, of whatever, mm-hmm. whether it's the so the the business goals, or uh, a certain way of doing business, or certain way of dealing with people, or doesn't really matter. It's not the one level. It mm-hmm. is something that needs to be happening on all, all levels, per- all pervasive. Yeah, I mean, also on on the on the the bottom of uh, um, the letter. On the, on the, you know, uh, because you can be as a manager as open-minded and as forthcoming and as supportive as you you possibly can be, and I'm sure there are uh, a few. <laughs> no, I've I've had managers who were completely supportive and and open to suggestions and never claimed to know everything, um, and always uh, encouraging you know uh, speaking your mind. Uh, but if uh, employees don't do that or uh, fight on the knee, uh, uh, you know, between themselves, uh, then the results are negative also. Mm. 
So it's something that needs to happen throughout the business, and, and Bloodhound does that. They've got they, they've got it covered throughout the business. Whether you are uh, an intern uh, uh, putting the stickers on, I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, or the project leader, uh, and I don't know his name, but he's right up there with uh, uh, with Andy Green. Mm-hmm. Um, they have control over the whole project. You need something. You need somebody at the top. I mean, I'm not totally. I'm, I don't believe in a flat hierarchy and a flat. I don't believe that. I mean, you need somebody who's got the overview and who's got the the, the, the vision of the business goals and and you know how to move about certain things. And uh, you, you need to have some sort of structure where people can report up and down. And if we you know. if we make a distinction though, like so so if you have somebody who's got an overview, does that imply they have more power? Well, no. I, th- no. I think that's the conversation that's being held around enterprise architecture and hierarchies and power. It's not that's, so much that somebody. Yeah. Had some, I mean, there's a really important role for somebody to have a, 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 a supervision, to be having a helicopter look down. <laughs> that's a role, though. That's not inherently about power. And it, it doesn't give them a right to treat people in a specific way, like machines. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it means that you you do have more responsibility, but with a project like this, uh, the guy who puts that little bolt on the little thingy which holds the little thingy, he's got a tremendous responsibility. Well, because he, if he doesn't put the bolt on correctly, then it's gonna. I was just thinking that there's there was a there's a, a, a childhood um, I don't know if it's a rhyme but for want of a nail a shoe was lost for want of a shoe the horse was lost and you think about the person the lack of the nail in the horseshoe that led to the fact that the horse couldn't take the soldier to the battle that led the battle to be lost and the kingdom to be lost you know the, where responsibility sits everywhere and I think that's one of the exactly. defining things about a social business is that it sits everywhere yeah and it has to be recognized mm. and and that's when you get when you get uh, people higher up the hierarchy, they need to recognize that uh, the guy who puts in the nail is of equal importance. Mm, mm. But the guy who puts in the nail doesn't have to worry about the war, right? He just has to worry about that nail. That's all he needs to worry about. And he has to do that in a way which is just perfect. However, if he sees something and if he goes like, you know, the nails that we're using, I find it hard to get them in. Or the mm. tool that I'm using, I find it mm. hard to control. Well, because I'm a nail expert. I've, I've kind of, I know about I've, nails. I've looked at this in detail, and, I can, and I've thought about an alloy that would be much better. Exactly. As a, exactly. I've done a thousand, ten thousand shoes. I, I come up with a better way to do it a little bit more effectively. And then, when that goes up the hierarchy, then somebody on top, he, he or she, obviously, can go like, okay, well, that's interesting. Or he doesn't even know. He doesn't even need to know. Just gonna, it, it's just, just like... It's what, just, what if the person whose, whose specialty was nails were given the... The, the freedom. The, um, the freedom and yeah. the managers got and out the of the way. And said, you're, you're the, nail, you're the yeah. nail team. Yeah, yeah. Make the decisions you need to make about the nails. Exactly. exactly. And then at some point, you know, some report goes up and some manager, some leader or some general goes, how oh, that... Is this correct that we've have so few shoes lost, uh, or so, this many horses lost, or fewer horses lost than mm. we used to do a month ago? Because mm. last month we lost a hundred horses, mm. probably more, depending on the war. But and this month we've only lost twenty horses, but we haven't changed our strategy or our tactics or anything mm. we just lost fewer horses how mm. did that happen and then mm. the story can come where the guy who does the nails has, has done a, an improvement on the process so it's a, it's an interesting thing that in this um in this ideal picture perhaps that you've got the folks who are the special specialists and they're also the 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 bigger picture seers because it's like you you kind of want to come to work and do your nail thing but you want to know why you're coming to do the nail thing. You don't just do the nail thing. You're actually trying to win a war. Yeah. So you, you, know, you keep your eyes on, on the, the vision and the purpose as yeah. well as what is it that you're trying to do here in your, yeah. in your sphere of 
of of specialty and capability and influence. Yeah. Yeah. Preferably, but mm. you know, if if you take that a little bit further, um, it's okay if you just want to focus on the nail. And it's okay if you want to. And be a don't nail worry person. about the bigger picture. I mean, it's useful if you know the business goals. If mm. it's useful, if you know that that what it is that you're doing has this effect on the whole process, and there is not a less significant chain in the whole thing than the other. Mm. Sales is not more important than customer care. Marketing is not more important than HR. Uh, those kind of things. They all are important. You all need them to perform well. And with Bloodhound, they've kind of you know figured out that you need everybody to be on their A game. And if anybody within the team has got a problem, there's 90 people, right? If anybody's got a problem, it needs to be addressed. Well, any, anyone who's listening, who come, who's maybe working in an insurance firm or working uh, in a media business or working in, in any, any industry or any small or large enterprise would say, well, we need people on our A game as well. What's so special about a 1,000-mile-per-hour car? So if, if your, your hypothesis is that there's a, there's, a, there's a social aspect to Bloodhound, that's kind of the secret of their success. Like, what are some of those things that could be generalizable or extrapolated that that says this is a social business by default? And I think you would say they don't call themselves a social business, but by all definitions, they are. They just yeah. call themselves a business because they don't concern themselves about. I don't even think with, they call with, themselves with, a they business. Don't, they don't call. Well, yeah, exactly. They don't call them. They're not sort of social business nerds. They're not interested in labeling themselves. They're interested in a thousand miles per hour. Exactly. But you, you see something in here that says this is the kind of thing that others should be able to respond to. Well, you know, if, if any, any other company says, yeah, but my employees need to be on their A game too all the mm. time. Mm. You know, they need to deliver. And then I ask, well, do they? Are they? Mm. Probably not. Mm. I mean, what is your engagement within the company? I can bet the engagement within Bloodhound is 100%. I would probably agree with you having read this article. Which is... Absolutely is unbelievably high it's it's mm. just it and i my vocab, vocabulary kind of quits out on me right now but it's just unbelievable it it doesn't happen with any the average is what 15 13 15 yeah 15 20 if you're lucky percent yeah. of engagement within mm. employees in general on average in in general this as so the surveys say yeah. yeah so the surveys say well you know add another 10% let's make it 30 I mean, you still have like 70% of your employees are not engaged in your company. So, and if they're not engaged, they're not on their A game. They don't, pardon my French, I, I, give a shit. I, I remember a consultant coming into a place I used to work at years ago and quoted those statistics at us about how interesting it would be if everyone's on the same page and we're all kind of working towards the same thing. And, you know, most surveys suggesting engagement <laughs> in workplaces is 20%. And we all looked at each other and thought, this guy mad. He hasn't even got to know us. Because our engagement was probably about 95 to 100%. And he just made assumptions about stuff that he had. It was like a world he hadn't yet stepped into. Mm. You, you know, he was like in social business before the term had even been coined. Because we just did it. And I'm, I, see my, I see that experience a lot in the Bloodhound story. Like, why is it so difficult for other people? And then I come out of that work workplace and I go and I go, oh, I see why. Because there's a lot about what goes on that got in the way of people sharing information and having two-way communication. information. And, yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, but that's kind of the problem where you go like where, where people tend to make argument, but but we want the same thing and yeah, but your environment, and there we go again, and, but your environment just doesn't allow for that to happen. Mm. And, um, and people don't care. I mean, to quote Luis Suarez, people don't give a shit. Mm. Mm. And it's, it's true. And I mean, and if they don't That's care, sad. I mean, I mean yeah, I mean, it's, it's every story that I hear from my wife. I mean, it's just people are just, beaten down again and again and again and again and mm. 
you know, they come with, you know, we've been talking and we've got a solution because, you know, we've got some figures that go up and upper management is not, is not going to be happy with the figures that go up. So we've come up with a solution how you can improve your work <laughs> in order to create better figures that we can show upper management. Really? I mean, there's so much wrong with that line of thinking mm. that it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. And then they're surprised when their employees go like, oh, well, you know, that's not going to happen. We're not going to do that. That's not happening. We don't have more time in order to do something. We don't want to do the extra effort. Uh, it's not rewarded. It's not this. It's not blah, 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 blah. And you get into that negative spiral that, that it's very difficult to get, get out of. I mean... It is. And you you talked before about you know environments where people are incredibly reluctant to put their hand up and say like I'm not sure what this is or I don't know how to do this you know to say I don't know or I'm not sure because of what it might mean it might imply that you're less than qualified or that you would be first for the chop if there was going to be a redundancy or how were you in school when you didn't understand something me and and, and I, the, I understood and... everything I was fine. <laughs> I, okay well there you go so that's, um, a, that's a better example. i was i was a weirdo though you see i i could do it because i i was sitting on the outside of social groupings anyway as a school kid hmm, so it didn't sure. really concern me to be seen as a bit of a um a loon because i well, really was <laughs> <laughs> well you still are okay yeah that's good it's a positive thing uh, i remember very well that i especially even if you did get the courage to raise your hand mm. when the teacher said, do you understand? And you're like, sorry, no, I don't. Mm. And then the teacher would go on and explain it again. Mm. And then he'd look at you and say, do you understand now? You would mm. not say, no, I don't. Mm -hmm. Right? And I clearly remember that, not getting it the second time around. You don't say that. And the mm. teacher is looking you in the eye and he knows damn well that you don't understand because mm. he sees it. I mean, he's got the experience and if he doesn't, he shouldn't be a teacher. He knows that you don't get it. And then you say, yeah, I get it because you're not going to raise your hand again. You're not going to say, no, I don't understand it again. I'm stupid. Please explain it again, please. It's not going to happen. Mm. And that attitude, you know, is kind of something that drags along and, and gets into the business too. I mean, gets it, into the it, office. It, it, you're absolutely right. You've just reminded me of a book I remember reading back in my first life when I was a teacher and starting out, and it was by John Holt. I can clearly remember the cover. It's called How Children Fail, mm. and it talks about the strategies that children learn at school. What do we learn at school? We learn how not to be seen as stupid. We don't learn the content and the material. So you learn very subtly by facial expressions on the teacher and tone of voice on the teacher and your classmates how to police your ignorance around things. And you say, yes, I do. And of course, most teachers, certainly when I was at school and certainly when this book was written, would say, do you understand? Or any questions? And that's a yes or no question. So you learn very quickly that you say, no, no questions. It's fine. I understand. And then quietly in your isolation to panic. And I think about certain managers that I've met along the way and certain CEOs that I've had conversations with in private and they're panicking as well because they don't know mm -hmm. we're just educated from quite a young age not to not know and it's uh pretty desperate times for some businesses and for some communities and for some countries for people just keep saying i don't know because we actually don't know no exactly and it, and it, and it, it it's self-perpetuating right so you don't you, it's not something you you get out of just over time or just because anything else happens. I mean, that takes a lot of work. And especially for a business, it takes, an, I think, uh, an incredible amount of, of time and effort for a business to create an environment where people do stand up and say, I don't understand. Please explain this to me. And uh, where you're allowed to make a, a mistake or where you're allowed to be stupid once in a while. I well, it's, mean, a funny, it's, it's a funny, I'm just thinking it's an upside down sort of word, this uh, it's a world, that, this um, way that we've kind of evolved business. And I agree with you that it, it, in, you know, if we reimagine the future, 
what we call a social business in 2015, perhaps in 2055, we'll just call it business. Because mm. it's Preferably. just how people do things. We've turned things on its head. I would mm. like to hope um, <laughs> that I, I can remember this place that I referred to earlier working at where we had really high engagement. It took me about a month or two to realize that actually saying, I don't get what you just said, or can you explain that, was um, not a display of ignorance. In other words, stupidity. It was a display of ignorance. In other words, I don't actually know. And it was also a sign of, oh, you really want to be part of the team because you want to have a conversation with us about this stuff. Um, and it, it took me a, a, probably about a, another eight or ten months of asking lots of questions about how things happen and how the work works until I thought, I know everything about this place now and felt really integrated in the team. And it was just fascinating how a lot of the con conventions of modern workplaces just didn't exist in that place. It was, it was quite delightful that we um, had mistakes and we we're human all the time. Mm. And I, you know, I would wish that on everyone, really. Oh, yeah. It's, I think if you talk about the future, um, if you take the place where my wife works, you need to get rid of a certain generation. Mm. It's not mm. just like a few people. It's just like a whole freaking generation that you need to get past. Mm. Um, then you need to have like a current generation that knows how to deal with that and, and is able to turn those things around. And then it's the upcoming generation that needs to learn at an early age how to be um, uh, more daring and, and, and more uh, inquisitive and innovative um, and more collaborative um, in order to bring that when whenever they get into the work uh, sphere uh, that they can bring that kind of attitude with them instead of you know very effectively break somebody down spiritually that by the time they're yeah. old enough to hit the workforce they're well trained and they're well behaved and you don't have to worry about them because they will keep their mouths shut. Uh -oh. One of the good things of Bloodhound, where they go to schools and they teach children to think, to be inquisitive, to learn, and to have an interest beyond whatever it is that they're being taught. Obviously, so they do it. In. They're sharing the innovation of, the, of their working processes rather mm. than talking as, as about cars per se, but it's about there's an innovation of how we collaborate, co-work, cooperate together. Yeah. You suggested to me before when you were talking about this, as social business as a default position, that it was, it was something that you thought was wasn't conscious. It was just a natural <laughs> thing that arose. Like, can you say a bit more about that? Because I'm interested. That's so an this, assumption, this, this right? This group of ninety people that came together to construct this car. That it's a, it, it, uh, first of all, it's by, an assumption. I I, uh, I haven't talked to anybody within that team. Hmm. Um, uh, I might but, have, but it's but just the a... thing. But the thing that you 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 suggest, which I entirely go along with, is that a particular kind of work can't be as successful as it could be if it's not social. So social is social way of working, transparency, two way communication, sharing information, problem solving together, all that stuff it's is thing... really central to a business being successful and so and it's yeah successfully social and socially successful. It's another. Uh, post that I wrote where mm. I mentioned um, an article by Brian Solis where he goes uh, on about I think the company was called is called Jet Air mm. where you have a company with, uh, uh, an airplane company or an air traffic company what's it called um, airline an airliner and who whose primary goal is to have a happy customer. So a customer who has enough leg room, uh, has got a decent meal, uh, is well treated, uh, all those kind of things. You know, things that we took for granted like 20 years ago and mm. slowly dissipated with the, uh, the, the cheap... Er uh, eroded, yeah. Eroded. Yeah, with, with EasyJet yeah. and, and Ryanair and those kind of companies who actually make you suffer as much as they can and then charge you for uh, uh, less suffering and, and, and sell that as a premium. Mm -hmm. um, what they did, as far as I understood Brian's uh, article, was with Jet Air that they used a different strategy than EasyJet or the other ones. And 
So they did have happy customers, they had happy employees, but profit could be better. So what Wall Street did, the shareholders did, was fire the CEO and get a CEO in place which would do whatever it is that they wanted him to do in order to make more short-term profit. Hmm. And so there's a bunch of people who make more money from that company now, but in the long run, it's not going to work out because, you know, bad clients or uh, unhappy customers, unhappy employees, engagement goes down, etc., etc. The idea with Bloodhound is that their goal is not to make a business which has as much profit as possible. Mm. But to set a record of a thousand miles per hour. But they still, yeah, to achieve achieve a purpose. Yeah, that purpose is not maximize shareholder value, though. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a non-for-profit uh, or not-for-profit, non-profit, mm. and their goal is not to make profit or make as much money as they can out of it. That's not their purpose. So as soon as that's not your purpose you have different set of values mm. which you can apply to your structure, the way you work and the way you deal with people. Mm-hmm. And in this case, adding the thousand miles per hour, which requires a whole different mindset, mm. a more extreme one and, and somewhere where people need to be um, um, thinking a lot more and, and be a lot more involved. Uh, and not be constrained by shareholder value, shareholder value, shareholder value. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm. And if, you, if if any company, if you start a company where you have, jeez, uh, um, set up a company where I'm looking at my CDs, where you have your goal as a company is to provide your customer with the best audio experience mm. you can. That is your goal, right? I think uh, uh, Sonos, nice company. It has this wireless uh, audio system. It's not cheap, but it's not horribly expensive either. And their goal is to provide the best audio with the best experience as they can, whilst still being somewhat affordable, Mm. obviously. I'm not sure about the company itself, but as a goal, Mm. if that would be your purpose, then that's where you can rally people around. If you would be a company that says, well, we need to make as much profit as possible, and we're going to do that with a product that, with which you can play music, then you're going to use cheaper materials where more expensive materials would have been better. Mm. You're going to have a certain attitude. You're going to have a certain mindset. You're going to have a certain way of working, which all involves about the question, around the question for how much profit can we make out of this? Yeah. How many costs can we cut? Uh, What's the lowest we can pay people with the minimum level of capability just to do these things? Yeah. Yeah. So... It's from the get-go where you can determine, I think, the faith of a company. Um, yeah. And especially now, because we now we know, right? It's not something that's like we don't know. I mean, yeah. if you don't know, then you definitely should get your head out of your ass and look around because we know how things can be done. We're not, yeah. we, you and I now are not inventing anything. Well, this is why I, I kind of um, go on about my one of my things, you know, the sociometry stuff. You know, we know we know some stuff about how people work and be together. Mm. Why why isn't the stuff that we talk about with um, you know people making decisions that they're able to make in their work, like the nail guy with the horses? Why can't the nail guy make the decisions about the nails because he's the one that's do so? Some assumptions that go on in business, we know that it's. It's far more satisfying for someone to make some decisions in their work. You know, Dan Pink talks about it in Drive. You know, meaning, mastery, and autonomy. Purpose or meaning, mastery, and autonomy. It's, it's well 
studied it's well documented we uh, know have these a things. Faith we in know these people. things you know it's have the... a little faith in people you know the, McGregor came up with his theory x y in 1960 and we know these things having <laughs> seen it happen for so long that theory is older than i am <laughs> and still people behave as if you know their staff are work shy and they don't want to do anything purposeful with their lives and they just want to draw a paycheck and i think well that's just rubbish that's yeah. just rubbish yeah yeah it's really 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 sad Especially when you go to a conference like Enterprise 2.0, some of them people are talking about, well, Lee Bryant, about how to change things that you go mm. like, like start on the outside, right? Mm. Don't worry too much about the inside, but at the outside, where does your business meet your customer? Yes. That is the most important bit. Mm. And again, I mean, as soon as she's left that company, I'm going to write an essay about it. And name the company, but <laughs> yeah, it's such. It, I mean, it. But they are the ones who deal with client complaints. Mm. Now, who's more important within the company than those people? Nobody. Absolutely no one. Not sales, not the CEO, not their manager. They are the most important, and they are the bottom of the barrel as far as the company goes right mm -hmm. they get the lowest pay they have the least respect they have the least of resources that they have absolute minimum um, they have no wiggle room at all mm -hmm. they're not asked for their opinion on anything mm -hmm. and um, they're being treated as expendable mm-hmm mm-hmm they should be the big earners. They it's should not, be the and ones. And I'd expand it's not just the folks doing complaints, it's the people who you may be their first point of contact. And I'm thinking about my internet provider and the people who initially, there was no complaint because I was inquiring about setting up an internet service. And the same thing you've listed there, giving no wiggle room, they're given no autonomy, they're given, um, they're, 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 they're given no decision-making power to actually serve the customer and give the customer their best. So from the first point of contact until it gets to a complaint, none of those people who are facing the customer are given what they need to do their jobs well for the exactly. customer. Uh, in a four-hour work week of uh, Tim Ferriss' book, mm, mm. He, uh, he goes on that at some point he has a business and he is, um, he's working hard. Um, and his team dealing with clients had a limit of a hundred dollar where mm -hmm. they, they had their wiggle room. Yeah. Above that, they had to ask for permission, mm -hmm. meaning they had to ask him, uh -huh. meaning that he was on the phone all the time, either agreeing to something or approving something or whatever mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. you don't want to worry about as a manager. Mm -hmm. But what he did, he raised uh, from a hundred to 400. Mm. And I don't know what the effect was for him. Uh, I don't remember, but it was huge. Yeah. The amount of time that he saved out just by letting the employees have more room to spend, mm -hmm. uh, more money to spend on, on solving a problem, uh, left him with so much extra time, which he could to do other things. To yeah. do other things. Mm. And uh, employees happy, mm. customers happy because they were. Uh, quicker served and, and, yes. and you know a little bit of trust in your employee and you're good to go mm. money wise not a problem mm. it's not like all of a sudden he had to spend like 400 on each client instead of 100 no. he was probably spending it anyway but he was just being the one to approve it yeah there was just another link in the cable mm -hmm. which he uh, which which he just took out of the equation and mm. and, and made everybody a lot happier and that's far as on autonomy got. And it was like only like a little amount or a little amount. It was like four times the amount. But so it probably was quite significant, but it gave everybody a lot more freedom. Mm. It's a simple example, but, you know. Well, this and, and a few other things we've been saying sort of leads me to think that we might, we might be warming up to a, another podcast episode that's entitled something like The Role of a Manager in a social business or the role of a manager in a 21st century business because I think there's a lot that we keep referring to about what is it that managers do that gets in the way and what is yeah. it that managers could either stop doing or adjust in terms of what does their role look like it's no longer about the one who sits there and 
gives approval for spending some money because they've given them such a, a small, you know, budget to help customers. But maybe we kind of look at what what might the role of a manager or leader look like. Mm, true. On the twenty first century business. Yeah, good idea. Yeah, good um, point. Because we, we we you're right. I mean, we tend to yap a lot about uh, managers and about all the things that they do wrong, and. Uh, in the grander scheme of things, of, of, of business development from being a business to a social business, middle management is something that uh, that we tend to talk about and 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 see as a, a challenge, not necessarily a problem, but definitely a challenge. But um, to, e- yeah. to echo your to echo your point that you made earlier, that they are caught between a rock and a hard place, and um, I think we've mentioned in previous discussions that you know no one goes into a job with the intention of being a obstructive or difficult or creating um, uh, unnecessary challenges for people at work. But there are some things that go on. And I think a lot of it is also about what the manager can, in his or her own mind, recast or reimagine about what their job could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, have spoken to a few people who are looking at, you know, maybe going for a, a, a position, a managerial position. And when I've asked that question, they've said, Actually, looking at the job description, there's quite a lot of scope for me to to do that, craft my own role, my own role descriptions about. So I, I think you know that's that's cause for hope, really. But looking at the timing, I'm aware that we've come to the end of this episode of our podcast. So yes. um, until next time, I will sign off, and you can catch us on. Is it the reimaginingworkpodcast.com? There's two. RWcast. RWcast.com. Just to keep it simple. Yeah, Yeah, keeps it simple. So, yeah, Uh, you can find us there. Follow, link, read, listen, comment, share. And And until next time, I will say farewell. And I will say goodbye.